Hi, it's Chris here. I guess this is a short intro before the podcast because basically when I started it, I didn't do a very good introduction at all. Uh, this podcast was where I wanted to talk to someone I knew quite well called Erica Martin, and it was about sustainability, but in the sense of a practical view of it, because we've all heard the word, we all know it can mean a number of different things, and for most people at the moment, it means climate crisis, climate change, carbon, but of course, sustainability is a lot more than that. It is labor practices, it is all sorts of things. And it, it gets talked about in pub conversations or over an afternoon lunch or a coffee in the morning, but no one really actually understands what it means for an organization, except people like Erica. And she is probably the smartest person that I know. Now, uh, a warning, the audio is not perfect. Uh, her dog, Indy, would not leave me alone. We probably consumed close to a bottle of wine together while I tried to make Erica less nervous about being on a podcast because you would be amazed at how many guests, they, they freeze up. And what's always funny is that the conversation that flows is the stuff before you hit record. Even if you try and hit record without them knowing, they still seem to somehow know. And then they open up when you're not actually getting the stuff down. Anyway, enough from me. I introduce you now to Miss Erica Martin. Yeah. <laughs> you destroyed it. I destroyed it the first time I used it. I like that. You search, you hunt, you find it, you drive out, you pick it up, you bring it home, and then you put it back on boost. And go, look, Welcome back to another episode of This Is Not The Way. Today, I'm here with Erica, and I want to discuss sustainability, while you might hear her dog, Indy, squeaking toys in the background. So, uh, you, work, you work in the field of sustainability. What, what is sustainability in terms of... Well, what, do you think there's a difference between sustainability for us as people and how we live our lives and for companies, or is it exactly the same thing? I think it's the same thing. It's just on potentially on a different scale. Um, I think a lot of people, when they think of sustainability, they think of environmental sustainability, but sustainability is very broad. So it encompasses social as well as environmental. And um, so all the acronyms like CSR, ESG, like they're all, you know, triple bottom line. It's all that broad umbrella of sustainability. And I think I think the difference between individuals and companies when it comes to sustainability is probably the decisions that need to be made. CSR was a word that was around, the term seemed to be in the 90s a lot. Do, do companies still use that, corporate social responsibility, and do they include environmental impacts in it? Uh, yeah, CSR still gets still, still gets used. Yeah, oh, okay. and it does, it does um, cover environmental. I mean, there's a lot of focus now on uh, integrated reporting, so companies are increasingly expected to 
um, integrate uh, environmental impacts and environmental risk into their um, into their reporting, yep. into their financial reporting. So yeah, it very much still covers environmental. Yeah. Which is a which is a good thing. It's just, uh, I, I guess, one of the questions people like yourself would probably get, or people would think about, is how much of this is greenwashing or is uh, a light touch, and and how often how often in your career do you, have you felt like that people are actually uh, actually in line with it, embedded with the idea of what they're trying to achieve? I think there's a whole spectrum of that with um, companies that are owned or led by either individuals or teams who you know are genuinely wanting to do the right thing and I think it's really you know no company can say they're fully sustainable. What would fully sustainable mean? Is that is that a zero carbon footprint or is that um, that there is no possibility of poor labor practices in any of your supply chains or is it is yeah, it all of it'd it be, it'd be all of it it'd be doing yeah, everything, it would be impossible. everything to best practice really leaving more of a positive impact than a negative impact and and i just think organization like businesses you know unless you're just a you know like a sole trader that's offering a service yep. where you can keep your footprint very small but any product um, driven company you know they have complex supply chains and you know the bigger the organization the more complex it is it's just it's really hard to control everything. how do you do it yeah how, how do you do it if you're a, if you're a company that makes a product you're a cosmetics company and you make a product and it's got a whole bunch of different raw ingredients and some of the product could even be made in Australia, some of it is made, I don't know, in Indonesia. But there's the packaging, there's different oils in the product. If one of them's a palm oil, and I'm probably completely wrong here because palm oil's most likely used in cooking, but a partic- particular no, it's type used of in oil. Cosmetics. Okay, all right, so palm oil is used in cosmetics that is linked to deforestation. Mm-hmm. What the hell? That's impossible. Because there's every single raw ingredient here to follow back. Mm. Not only about whether the ingredient has got any biodiversity effects attached to it because of the way it was grown. Is, a, is it an ingredient that requires a huge amount of water um, in an area that's heavily irrigated? Yeah. And should we say, just like I sometimes think in Australia, why do we grow rice and, we go rice and cotton in areas that are actually arid it works because we dammed and we suck everything out of something called the Darling River before it even gets to the Murray. I don't know. I think I find it all a bit depressing because I would follow back these supply chains and then how do you decide what's best practice? I think there's no one definition of best practice and there's so many aspects of sustainability that a lot of it is not black and white it's lots of shades of gray and often there's trade-offs when you know you might be looking at making a change in your supply chain for example that provides a benefit in one area but it might have a negative impact in another area so um, I, I think supply chains are complex and traceability of supply chains is a very hot topic in sustainability at the moment and there's a lot of rapidly changing legislation particularly internationally in the eu and the us 
um, that is going to um, require that companies do map and trace and disclose their supply chains um, and also are doing the assessment of the environmental footprints of their products and are also disclosing those. The challenge is, you know, in terms of, you know, disclosing a carbon footprint or a product impact footprint, there's, there's probably no one methodology that that you know everyone agrees on and that everyone's kind of comfortable with the whole thing requires a lot of data and i think fundamentally that's what businesses are lacking about their supply chains is is data and not only the data but you know how to house and manage the data so like you know i think it's going to require a lot of technology to be able to deliver on these requirements and at the moment it's being done by brands, probably in a piecemeal and very manual way. So it's very um, resource intensive to do this work at the moment. Yep. Yeah. I think we um, <laughs> we briefly in our little company thought about carbon credits and in terms of selling them and what we found pretty quickly in a, a little bit of research that was really difficult is that it, it was like a cowboy industry. Yeah. There was no one way of measuring it. Yeah. And the harder you looked, the more opaque all the different data collection and measurement techniques became. It wasn't that they were all dodgy. It was just like there were... You could basically just set up your own badge of a new carbon accounting credit. It was almost like crypto. Come up with your own token. This was just come up with your own way of, of counting carbon. Yeah. And you have projects and they don't last forever. So you have a reforestation project. That's fine. It yep. will produce something for a period of time. How do you work that out? Yeah. Some of the other stuff was just really flaky. And yet there were lots of companies selling these yeah. things into sort of a market. I wasn't sure how much of an open market it was or a free market. It wasn't that we weren't sure how we did, could do it ethically. We weren't really sure how it was operating now, yep. let alone what was the most ethical way to actually do it and offer it and how could we say how can we say to ourselves yes these carbon credits we sold actually do add up to a particular project yeah and i think with carbon account i mean there are some international standards um so the greenhouse gas accounting protocol and this is you know i'm not an expert in this field but i think this is the challenge is it's very technical very complex and for either a brand or an individual who just might want to buy some carbon credits like you know how do they know what's legit and if you really want to dig into the science behind it it's 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 complex and overwhelming and you know, I know when you're looking at doing carbon accounting, you kind of get to define, you know, what are the boundaries, what's the scope, and that might vary. So, like, how do you compare apples to yep. to apples? Uh, I think I think one of the the challenges is the quality of the projects, and you know, having an agreed standard that this is this is the standard of what what constitutes a you know a, a carbon carbon credit program, um, but also ensuring that we're not like double counting or I think I think the challenge with carbon credits like legitimate carbon credits and there's been a lot of negativity in the media about the validity of carbon credit projects so I think people have shied away from using them because of that negativity 
Um, but I think they are still important um, and they shouldn't be ignored whilst we're still working on reducing emissions. I think we still need to be offsetting emissions along the way whilst we're yep. reducing towards net zero. So personally for you, what would what's more important? Carbon emissions in, in the operations of a, an organisation labor practices or the amount of waste that's produced is, is, is there one of the three where you go oh i feel like or you've had experience in making more impact in one area or one that you personally care more about they're all interconnected yep um personally i feel that the climate crisis is probably the most urgent crisis of our times and i think that's where organizations need to be focusing their efforts but they absolutely need to be focusing their efforts beyond just their own operations and really be looking at their scope three particularly if you're a scope three so that's your supply chain emissions so oh okay yeah so usually your direct emissions are your scope one and two and that's around your fuel use and your electricity use so waste, for example, would be part of scope three, but yep. scope three, you know, includes freight, air travel, you know, the the footprint of your products that yep. you're producing. And, you know, in, I know in um, a fashion supply chain, for example, they, um, it's been estimated that, those supply chain emissions are around maybe 96% of a business's footprint. So if you're only focusing on your oh, right. direct emissions, you, like that's 4%, of your, 4% like, of your overall emissions. And the, the challenge with the supply chain emissions is you don't, you don't necessarily control them directly. No. So it often gets put in the too hard basket it's hard to measure and then it's hard to they're hard to reduce but i think if businesses don't start looking at those emissions we're not gonna get anywhere near to no. reaching our and you targets that's where you do need governments because most of the world works on a, a an open market capitalist model yeah. which means if i can I can say that I want to be as sustainable as you, but if I found, find out that your company is now spending a fair bit more by doing something right, then I have that moral moment of considering whether I'd like to actually keep my prices lower mm. keep that because I've kept my costs lower because I'm not doing the change. Yeah, but I think the illusion is that, you know, come the climate crisis, which, you know, actually is here, but... Once we hit that tipping point, everything's baked in and then the world as we know it won't be the same and, and we're not, you know, it's going to be much harder to run a business in that kind of environment. So, like, I think if you're talking about long term, if you want to look at long term prospects of any business, whether it's, you know, the ability to source materials or, yeah. you know, have stable, you know, production without being impacted by you know natural disasters or even yeah. you know like um, it's so crap in a way it's just it, population we have to wait. migration and all sorts yeah. of stuff but yeah. we, got, we, got, we have to wait to that point for businesses to actually find 
that their supply chains can't supply them with what they need. Yeah. It was almost similar in watching the mad panic through the pandemic and yeah. afterwards when everything locked up. Yeah. And there was this sort of disbelief with consumers. I can't get a new car. Mm. I've ordered my new Mercedes and they're telling me it's 12 months away. Yeah, because yeah. the whole world shut down and supply chains broke. We've never seen supply chains break like that. Yeah. Completely. And and the same will happen due to climate crisis. So I think it's very short-sighted to think... But it'll you be know, slower, we though. We just focus... Yeah, it will be slower. And when it's gradual, we get this way yeah. of, of using our cognitive dissonance or our just, just being myopic and going, eh, it's a bit more in the future. It hasn't happened yet. Mm. The challenge is, and, and these are conversations that I've had recently with some of my peers is how do you balance the the view of you know if a business is looking at short-term risk they might only be looking at at it for the next one to three years and they go okay well you know the the risk of climate change impacts in the next one to three years you know like may not be too concerning but the you know based on the ipcc report all of the science is telling us that you know we've got probably until 2030 um, before we hit that tipping point and we need to have reached a certain um reduction of emissions before you know to be able to be on track for um, avoiding the worst impacts of climate change so within the next you know kind of three to seven years like if we're not taking enough action now, everything gets baked in and you can't kind of at the last minute take action to address climate change because it'll all be, yeah. I think the message is it's not gonna be business as usual. So no. if if companies think that, you know, we'll just keep, you know, being able to trade business as usual into the future without addressing any of this. Well, you hope the consumers are going to be the, the main charge against them. People saying, no, I, I don't, I don't want it anymore, but it's it's always easy to say. It's uh, you, you get people saying, "Okay, I, I want my clothes made locally." All right, it'll be two and a half times the price. Yeah. Oh, oh, we were. Oh, and okay. No, oh, and and I think I think consumers do have a big role to play in the solution. Like I think you know, no one really wants governments to have to legislate and regulate but they probably will have to 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 get things moving like you want businesses to also be playing their role because you know they have a lot of levers to pull and actually actually government as purchasers of products and services they're actually big big consumers yep so like governments can also influence a lot of this through their procurement practices um, but consumers also, like as, as you said, and you know, consumers can start to make um, considered decisions about which companies they're going to buy from, which products they're going to buy, um, you know, investing, you know, being willing to pay a bit more for a product that's made yep. more responsibly, but also consuming less like fundamentally this is the elephant in the room yep like dealing with business, the Zara the issue with businesses is overproduction and the issue with consumers is overconsumption so yep. like businesses need to produce less and consumers need to buy less yeah but the, the businesses are they have to react I think to what consumers wants are I mean yeah you have that odd example like a Patagonia and uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name who you know, basically said, if you, don't, if you don't need it, another 
replacement, don't buy it. They had a whole campaign like, don't buy this yeah. jacket. Um, yeah. That's a bit out there. Like, good on him. I, yeah. I'm a, I like I their brand the just for that. I think the irony was they probably sold a lot more jackets because <laughs> of the campaign. Great. Thanks, Erica. Just turn that into a cynical, just like I would. Yeah. Um, oh, really? Yeah, they probably did. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's really hard. And, and, you know, how do you grow? Like, how do you have responsible growth? Like, how can you still grow a business or meet the needs of society without over-consuming resources? Part of it is society deciding how much it wants to consume. Yeah. How much it wants. All I've watched is Australia want to become more and more like America from before I was born, from the 1950s onwards. Yeah. Consumerist consumerism. And living in uh, Spain for a year and a half, ironically, the place that fast fashion was, was born, the shops are still not open on a Sunday and yeah. they go out for lunch on a, on yeah. a Sunday and a Saturday. They do, they do go to shopping malls, but it is nothing like the shopping that Australians do. Yeah. Nothing like the shopping that... Uh, that the Americans do. But once it's changed, it's, it's, it's an addiction, just like gambling and other things. Once people are ready to watch the next TikTok video mm. that says to get the next product and that gives you the dopamine hit, mm. I mean, shit, at the end of all this, it really is just a dopamine hit. I get a dopamine it hit is. if I buy something, yeah. something that's new. It, it is a nice feeling, but it just became this, especially with that idea of the fashion of, but every four weeks, you just must have another full outfit dopamine hit. Yeah. And people went, great. Yeah, I'll try that. Oh, that feels really good. Let's yeah. do it again. Yeah, you can say, well, hang on, Zara. Don't, don't release it every four weeks. Release it every three months. Yeah. And that's yeah. all about profit. That's not necessarily what, you know, around what customers need. But I think social media also drives um, a lot of this. People being a lot more visible on social media and not wanting to be seen in the same outfits for example so that's that impetus to you know have a new look all the time constantly but you know i think i think the antidote to to fast fashion is slow fashion which is no fewer pieces better quality and timeless designs that you know are not just for a season but that you can wear and mix and match over a longer or just not care time. about fashion. <laughs> I found out that most of my socks have holes in them today. Because I found one pair that did and went, oh, that's really annoying. I'll just get the other pair. Oh, oh yeah, I'll get the other pair. And I tipped out the whole sock drawer. Oh, holy crap. <laughs> I really need a whole bunch of new socks. <laughs> Will I get a dopamine hit out of that? Probably not socks. I also think, you know, if people, if people are looking at local production and saying, well, local productions, that local's better, I think in a lot of cases, you know, there are some really great local um, manufacturing options. There are some great factories offshore that are doing, a, uh, that are much more progressive even than some of our, you know, not that we have a lot of local um, production and the fact that globalisation has very much made, um, and with supply chains, made everything move seamlessly in some ways. And so why shouldn't you have free trade agreements? And why shouldn't mm. you enable countries that are not as rich to actually build up their own manufacturing bases and therefore their own consumer bases? It doesn't make you um, uh, 
down in a way, trying to work in this space year after year, month after month? I think overall, we're not doing enough and we're not doing it quickly enough. So maybe it could be a case that everybody's just relying on other people to, to, to do the work. Um, I really want to be optimistic, but to be perfectly honest, you know, I, I, I find it hard to really contemplate what's going to happen in the future. And I find it hard to read some of the news articles about, you know, how accelerated the, the, you know, the ice is melting in Antarctica and that, you know, a whole, you know, penguins haven't been able to, like all the penguins haven't had babies this year because there hasn't been enough ice for them to breed on. And I just, my friend Pete, his brother lives in Bensdale and today he got a state emergency service warning for a bushfire and then he got one an hour later for a flood. Flood, yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone said to me yesterday, oh, Gippsland's flooding. And I'm like, and it's burning. I'm like, it's unheard of to be having bushfires in October. Like, yeah. And I think this is the world that we're living in now. And I think... You know, this is our this is our current reality, and I think it's only going to get worse. Well, <laughs> sorry, on that note, I'm sorry, I want to be optimistic. Thank you, Erica Martin, the, for no, your the, insight into why the, the world is, is we stuffed. We actually have the solutions. We have the knowledge, and we have the solutions, and we have the ingenuity. What we need is the commitment and the investment. But we yeah. also talked about that some of those solutions might need to be things like us as consumers yeah. pulling back. Yes. And I don't know what, well, you could do a lot of investment in marketing and advertising or... I I think the the challenge with our current, I guess, capitalist model is that, you know, growth is the imperative. Yep. And like... We need a communist uprising. No, I'm not. I'm not proposing communism. There is a concept about of donut economics of which I am not an expert, but... um, Yeah, it's the idea of, you know, finding that sweet spot between, you know, meeting the needs of people and communities and society, but whilst still being within the boundaries of planetary resources. Unfortunately, that's the right model. It is, but yeah, to do it, the the idea that people can parent themselves is is just such a load of crap. We can't. We, We are too fallible. Somebody else has to parent us. And governments are just so piss poor at every now and then standing up and going, eh, we're the, now the responsible adult in the room and mm. you're not going to be allowed to do this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think the challenge with, with governments is, you know, they're really looking at just getting re-elected within the next three to four years. And so it's, what's really needed is long-term vision. Yep. Beyond government election cycles. Well, thank you for explaining some of the key things to me. Thank you to your dog, Indy, for nuzzling me the whole time and annoying me. Because I'm pretty much sure that this uh, recording won't work because my mic has got a lot of... (laughs) 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 For the last freaking 42 minutes. Thank you, Indy, for your heavy breathing.